Hey everyone, today's guest is the wonderful Anna Sophia Robb, who you probably know from Bridge to Terabithia, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Soul Surfer, and The Carrie Diaries. We talk about her role in the new Peacock series, Dr. Death, and the really terrifying true story of Christopher Dunch. I should warn you that there might be a spoiler or two. On a lighter note, you'll get to hear how a $6 coffee in Harry Potter led to love and how we pronounce our names the same way. Later in the episode, April and I talk with a listener whose ex has different ideas on co-parenting and how to raise their child. Okay, here's Anna Sophia. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. So you're in New York right now. Yeah, I live in New York. I have an apartment out here. My roommate's here. So back and forth, but mostly in New York. How long have you lived there? I moved there right after high school to do the Carrie Diaries. And then, like, I fell in love with it. I was supposed to go to school, and then I deferred two years. And I went back to Stanford, and I had, like, my first mental breakdown ever. Like, my whole body was shaking. I just knew it wasn't right for me. Like, something was off. And then I went back to New York, and then I went to Gallatin at NYU. Do you mind talking a little bit about what it was about that time in your life or the place in your life that shook you? I mean, I think in high school, I didn't really know. I knew I wanted to go to school. I knew that was really important to me, and I wanted to study. But I didn't know where I wanted to physically be. Like, I didn't really know what I wanted to get out of college other than I was like, ooh, to be, you know, around professors and students and learn things. And it was one of the best schools that I got into. So I thought, oh, yeah, it must be the right place. And I think if I had gone directly after high school, I probably would have had a great time. But I think taking two gap years and working nonstop, like I was the lead in a TV show. And I think just the pace of New York and the friends that I had made. And I think I also went to school because I was like, well, what if acting doesn't work out? I want to be able to sort of have something to fall back on and I know it will enrich me. And then I think I realized, oh, I want to be able to work while I study and make my studies part of storytelling. Like I want to be able to merge the two. And Stanford for me at that time just felt so far removed. Like you get to the airport and then you take a train and then you take a bus. And it was just physically, I was used to being in a city where there's all these people doing different things constantly and everything was immediate and it just felt like I was in a bubble. My body is telling me I don't want this, even though my head is saying I should. If I had moved to New York at a young age when you're yearning for your life to just keep expanding, it would have been hard to return to a smaller community like Palo Alto. I mean, it's beautiful there, but I totally understand. Yeah, I actually ran into somebody a couple months ago we went to like admit weekend and we were hiking upstate in New York. And she's like, I said you had small feet and we played hacky sack that weekend. <laughs> I was like, 
it's been it's been eight years, maybe. I don't know, nine years since. Was she implying that your small feet like didn't lead you to the championship round of hacky sack? I think that was my issue. I think that's why I've never been good at hacky sack. They just miss the hacky sack every time. Like they were playing hacky sack when I was going to college. I didn't know it was still. Oh my god, I'm so old. Okay, it's still a thing. I used to play on sets growing up. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm still terrible. I never improved. I don't know if it's a sport that invokes passion. More of a pastime than passion. Yeah, completely. (laughs) Okay, so did you join a sorority there or anything? No, I didn't even know sororities existed at NYU until there was somebody in one of my classes wearing a sweatshirt. What about sororities at Stanford? No, I never actually went. I got admitted and then I went to their admit weekend to check it out. Like, you see what they have to offer. And that's when I was like, "Ah, nope. Would you consider yourself a decisive person? Because I don't know if I would have had the courage to like just cut it off, to understand my own self, to be like, no, this isn't quite right. I think I was more decisive back then than I am now, almost. I don't know. I think I am a type of person who has like visceral reactions to things. Like sometimes my head won't sit, like I won't feel sick or tired, but I'll get a massive headache. And so I'm like, oh, I should go to bed now. (laughs) (laughs) Or if I'm walking down a street and like my hairs on my body go up, my head says, don't worry, don't think about it. But then my body will be like, you should cross the street now. You know, certain things like that. And then when I was there, I felt sick and I literally started shaking. I've never had that before. So I thought I missed New York so much. I've never missed a place because I traveled so much as a kid. I was used to like going, making friends, coming back. I had never missed anything like I had missed a city before. And it feels like coming home to you. Yeah. Maybe it even did immediately. Like I talk about this all the time on the podcast, but it feels very relevant, especially when I talk to a lot of very nomadic people. The idea of home, and Bob Odenkirk said that when he first went to Ireland, he had never been there before. He had this like tidal wave of this I'm home feeling. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really profound and how we kind of seek it. And, you know, it tends to not be, I think, where we grew up necessarily. Or maybe it shifts a little bit in your life. Does L.A. feel like home for you? No. No. Where would you say you feel that way? I grew up in Washington State, and I wouldn't say my hometown, but there's a little cluster of islands. We bought a camper van. We've been... We've put, did you too? I didn't, but my grandparents, I have a story, but I love a camper van, love a camper van. It's been a blast, but whenever we get up there, it feels like home. What I do wonder about is if we are in a place in our lives and we can live there all the time, I wonder if I will get stir crazy, but I don't think so. Every time I'm there, I'm like just grinning all the time. That's, that's special. Did you go there as a kid? I went to camp there, yeah. I don't know if you've ever shot in Vancouver. You probably have. I never. I keep waiting (laughs) because I really want to go. And I know so many people who practically live there now because they're shooting shows there. It's pretty beautiful. The whole area surrounding the city is just gorgeous. Mm. I know you've been doing a ton of press. How is that going? It's been good. I love talking about the show. (laughs) I, of course, listened to the podcast which is brilliant, and I cannot wait to binge 
Dr. Death. It is about a doctor based in Texas, correct? Yes. Although he didn't grow up there, but... He's from Denver. He's from Colorado, where I'm from. (laughs) And like sort of a a handsome, alpha-ish man with some odd social quirks. Yes. And... Very charismatic. Sociopathic tendencies. Not the best doctor, And a terrifying idea in an area where I think as Americans, we have illogically felt very secure in our medical system and our professionals. And I think we also need to have that trust in general as humans. Yes. So what are your thoughts? I think you did a great job summing it up. Yes, that's essentially... I mean, it's a true story. The trial ended in 2017. So that wasn't that long ago, which always floors me. But like you said, this doctor, Dr. Dunch, which is also just a terrifying name, neurosurgeon, went to a bunch of great schools, got great letters of recommendation, but ended up performing horribly on his patients and either like maimed them, seriously injured them. Anyway, two doctors in Dallas noticed that he was harming his patients. And so they were whistleblowers and they basically called him out, but the hospitals didn't do anything. They didn't want to have any sort of legal repercussions because they didn't want blood to be on their hands. And it's also sort of tricky business because there's protocol and it still confuses me why he wasn't stopped sooner. But when Henderson whistleblowed on the first patient, it was patient number seven, And by the time they got him in prison, my character gets to him, he had operated on 37 people. So it's just basically a story of like gross failure on behalf of the medical system. And I mean, nurses saw what he had done, but they're expendable. You know, they don't earn millions of dollars for hospitals. So they're low on the totem pole. So basically the hospitals don't do anything. So they bring this case to the district attorney. And my character, Michelle Schugert, went after him and then put him in prison for life. That's rad. Yeah. It's the only doctor in U.S. history who has been tried for something that they did in the operating room and got a life sentence. So it's kind of an unprecedented case. That's incredible. Yeah. And she's amazing. I mean, I think the coolest part of this whole experience was I was able to talk to her before we started filming and just pick her brain. And she's so... Sweet. I know Soul Surfer was also a true story. Have you played any other real-life characters? Yeah. I'm trying to think if there were other ones. (laughs) I realized after this, it's my favorite kind of roles to play because I love talking. I love getting to know the characters and the people and, like, what a resource. It's like an actor's dream would come true. I mean, or at least for me, I can only speak for myself, but people are quirky and you can't sort of like make up. I mean, you can have a certain imagination with it, with a character, but when a person is who they are, you can ask them a question and they'll respond. Yeah. You know, as fully themselves. Like my favorite thing she ever told me, well, I can still be nice to you and put you in prison. (laughs) It's like, yes, this is accurate. She just has such manners. You know, she respects people, but it's not going to stop her from doing her job. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. And I love what you said. Like, as an actor, the idea of being able to ask anything that you have in your imagination to the living character, I've never had the opportunity. Most of my characters are just like one dimensional. <laughs> 
That's not true. You always make them three-dimensional. Thanks. House Bunny was like, that is all I watched in high school. Oh, I loved making that movie so much. It's iconic. You, like, established a character that is such a, like, cultural reference point. I was thinking the other day how playing that character, like, made me happier, made me a happier person. Yes. And how amazing it is when a character changes you just a little bit. And I bet you've had that experience, of course. Yeah. Well, do you ever think about that character like in your life now? Not consciously. Okay. But subconsciously, I think it made me a little more comfortable with women to some degree. Okay. I think it made me more comfortable in my body because I was suddenly showing so much of it. And it felt really good, too. I certainly didn't feel comfortable in my own skin like that. So, and also, I just loved that Shelly was so good-hearted and really wanted people to be happy. And we filmed at the Playboy Mansion with all of these, like, beautiful women. And I was really surprised by the lack of competitiveness and how friendly everyone was, how sweet and supportive they were of each other. I wasn't expecting it. It was really disarming. Uh-huh. And my experience with like other women, I was always the kind of person that had one or two best friends that I was like ferociously in love with. Mm-hmm. And then auditioning where you're in like a room of 30 beautiful women and everyone's concentrating and maybe sizing each other up a little bit. Yeah. And you know, break a leg. (laughs) (laughs) As you like cross your fingers. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But in an environment where you're pitted against each other and even in movies then too that I started to do, there was like the hot girl and Mm -hmm. there was like the mean girl. And when you're young, I think even though you're just playing characters, it can also infiltrate into a set environment, even if you try to prevent it. Oh, yeah. I mean, when they say that energy comes from the top, it's so true. Like that energy just trickles down. And if there's somebody who wants to cut you down or get gaslight or belittle or whatever, it ripples throughout the entire crew. And it's like, oh, it's like an infection. Totally. Like you have someone at craft service being like, this is the worst set I've ever been on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can just see it in people's face where it's like, get me out of here. (laughs) And it oddly happens a lot in comedy, I think. Really? I haven't done a lot of comedy, and it's something I've always wanted to do. I'd say The Way Way Back was Allison Janney. I love that movie so much. You are so fantastic. I think I've seen that movie six times. (gasps) I just love it. It's a great movie. But that was the first time I had done like a, well, I guess it's more of a family dramedy. But I just remember I was... 18, I just graduated high school and I remember just sitting and listening to these comedians. And I was like, honest Sophia, just keep your mouth shut and learn and just listen and laugh with these like talented people because you'll probably never get another opportunity like this. And I remember we were filming on the beach and I think Allison or Steve went down and brought a bottle of champagne up to one of the houses And they just started cracking jokes and pouring. (laughs) Because it was a night show. I think it was like our last night and it was going so long. And they were just in the the background. And so they were just having the time of their lives that I 
was just, I mean, my eyes must have been so big. I must have seemed like such a creep, you know, just sitting on the bed. (laughs) No, Allison loves you. She would talk about you all the time. I just, I miss her. Because I would always (laughs) ask her about the movie. I was like, I love that movie so much. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. What was your first love like? I have to be honest. My first love was Josh Hutcherson from Bridge to Terabithia. I was 12, I think, and I was like fully in love with him. Obsessed. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What was your age difference? I think he was probably 12 or 13 at the time. Was it reciprocated or did you just crush hard? It was reciprocated. Oh, God, how wonderful. It was so fun. And that was the whole time we were filming. And so it was just like, I remember just... You know, you're just being like vibrating with like, uh, <laughs> yeah. yes, a thousand percent. And then fully heartbroken once the movie was over and like life returned and I went back to seventh grade, you know. <laughs> did you keep in touch? We did keep in touch. We kept in touch. And then, of course, you know, he gets a girlfriend and I'm just fully like, oh. And then we had press tours together. And he was with somebody else, and I was just devastated. Yeah. When I think back to that time, I was like, oh, you should have just, like, gotten a new crush or something. <laughs> like, But I couldn't. I just couldn't get over it. I mean, it makes sense. We made a movie together, so we saw each other all day, every day. Okay, so then what was your next love? When did you fall in love again? I had a relationship You know, it was like one of those you think you have a boyfriend and you're like, oh, this isn't right. But then my current boyfriend, we've been together for five and a half years, which makes me feel kind of old. Do you feel pressure, like societal pressure to take all the normal steps? Or have you like lived in New York for so long that you're like, I don't need any normal steps? (laughs) Normal (laughs) steps out the window. I think maybe a little bit of both. I think it's more of like... Where are we at in our lives? What do I want my life to look like? What do you want your life to look like? Are we on the same page? I don't feel any pressure from like my family and especially not my friends. That's good. Okay. Do you collect anything? I press flowers because it's just hard to keep stuff in New York. Like there's no room to collect. So I have flowers that I like press. What do you do with them? I love that. Like make cards. My mom did that. Somewhere at my parents' house, I have a flower press that is filled with 12 four-leaf clovers. (gasps) Four-leaf clovers grow genetically in a patch. So if you find one, there tends to be more. And there was one at my bus stop one day, and I was like, look at all these. Anyways, I hadn't thought about that for a while. I loved that memory. I've never found a four-leaf clover, I don't think. Now I'm going to be on the hunt in Washington. It takes a long time. (laughs) You just look, you're waiting for the bus stop in third grade. You look down. I have been looking for a while. (laughs) There's a leprechaun, like, right behind you. (laughs) So what intimidates you? 
so many things. <laughs> Probably I was thinking, I went to this event the other night and I remember feeling so tiny talking to this person. It was because it was silence on the other side. And so I think maybe it's a cultural thing or maybe it's a me thing or maybe it's something I've adopted from my mother. But I think when there's like a, you know, when you're having an interaction, I constantly feel the need to fill it or to ask a question. You know, you can be silent with your grandparents or people who are close to you, but I think new people to sit sort of silently, it's a good power move. (laughs) I reckon I was like, oh, this is a tactic. Got it. It's a tactic I can't employ, if that's any consolation. (laughs) (laughs) What talent or ability would you most like to have? I wish I could sing really well. And I wish I was really good with languages. Do you enjoy traveling? I love to travel. That's the thing I miss the most. Where's your dream trip? I would love to do Israel, the Holy Lands, Egypt, I'd love to go to the Middle East. My grandmother traveled a bunch when she was younger. You know, she collected National Geographics. She still does. She has all of them. Wow. It's a lot. She's 83. And so looking at all of her travel photos throughout the years. How amazing. Is this the woman you were named after? Yes. Yeah, my spelling of my name. Because you're Anna, too. Yes. And I'm Anna, but it's everybody says Anna. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you correct people? What do you do? Not really. No. I just feel like a jerk. I mean, it's not anyone else's fault, but my parents. (laughs) That's exactly what I say. And then when somebody calls me, or I'll introduce myself as Anna Sophia, and then someone who's been calling me Anna... They go, why didn't you tell me? And I thought, I don't want to be the asshole to tell you, excuse me, you're pronouncing my name incorrectly. Like, I can't do that. (laughs) I know. I know. And I also don't think that people think that there's maybe much of a difference where to my ears, of course, there is. Right. You know, it's I prefer Anna because it's just softer. Yes. (laughs) So for those of you listening, (laughs) we're both Anna. (laughs) Soft. Gentle creatures. (laughs) You have such a lovely voice. I was listening to some of your other episodes. I was like, oh my gosh. God, your voice is so gentle. Oh, thank you. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. That is very kind. Sometimes, like, I can't. It's really hard for me to listen. I understand that. But that seems healthy. I think if you love listening to your own voice... Maybe you wouldn't be such a nice person, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, speaking of which, what is a trait you dislike in others? I think when they belittle people or, like, talk over someone or evaluate their worth. I think there's a lot of that in our industry. You know, when someone walks into a room and tries to suss out who's important, who's going to help them, I can notice that in people pretty well because I've been working since I was a kid, and I always— I always noticed that when I was a child, you know, and I was like mistrusting of them because I felt like somebody wanted to use me or I would watch them try to use other people. I don't like that trait. That's an interesting thing to pick up on as a kid because I think it took me a while in Los Angeles when I first moved here. I was 22 and I just got really lucky that I fell into good hands because I didn't know anybody. I had done this short film in Seattle, and the producer of that knew some managers in Los Angeles Mm. and sent this, like, short film that's terrible (laughs) to to these managers who agreed to meet me. So my mom gave me some miles, 
and I like flew down and they had a nice Beverly Hills office and then and they represented me for 20 years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so can you tell us then about your worst heartbreak? I I've definitely had them, but I think my personal worst was when my parents divorced. When I think of heartbreak, that's what I think of. Maybe it's because I'm in a good relationship right now and like I got lucky, I think in relationships. How old were you when your parents divorced? I was 18. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, everyone's divorced now. But, like, I think you just watch your family sort of, like, you know, it's not just your parents. It's, like, the whole social structure of everyone's life kind of pulls apart. So I definitely say that was the biggest heartbreak. Um, The other relationships, I could, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) No, that makes sense. The teen years, it's like you are figuring out that everyone's kind of duping you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it starts to creep in around like age 11. Like when something maybe a teacher said does not seem that accurate. The list could go on. (laughs) The list goes on as you grow up. Even now, I still feel like I'm learning those things. (laughs) Yeah, so I would think that 18 would be a particularly difficult year to be grappling with that, I think. And your parents are probably treating you like an adult, maybe leaning on you in different ways. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a good, like, good timing because I, that's when I moved away. So I wasn't there for it. But I think, like, I remember my first Christmas coming back and everything being different in a time when you don't want everything to be different because you've been away. So you just want everything to be the same. And I think it's that sort of, you want to keep that sense of your childhood and sameness. And, but it's like, it's no longer there. It's like the sort of memories that we're talking, you travel somewhere beautiful and you go, oh, and it's wistful and you wish you could go back. But it's like that, it actually no longer exists But what I've learned through the whole experience, both of my parents are now with other people and they have families, is that there was a really painful time. There's been a lot of heartbreak and growing and learning, but like now our families have quadrupled. Like now there are, I was an only child and now I have six step-siblings. That is awesome. It's remarkable. And like my dad is learning new things that he would never He said, well, I'm just an old white man, so maybe I should, you know, I should hold my tongue. Like, he would never have said that earlier. You know, (laughs) he would never have been learning about the LGBTQ plus community, like, or Black Lives Matter. Like, he has, like, a younger generation living with him who's, like, calling him out on things, teaching him things, welcoming him in, because I don't live with him anymore, you know? Like, that's one of those things where it was painful But I see him making these, like, tiny little changes. And I love my dad. But it's just, it's cool to see younger kids around him, like, raising him. (laughs) I so hope that one day my son can say that. Because I've now twice divorced. But I really think great things have come of it. Yes. Yeah. I listened to your podcast with Glennon Doyle. And I love love her and like her living her truth. Like I love her podcast and her book and just the honesty in which she shares sort of heartbreak and being truthful. And like, that's really helped me. And I think people do grow and they do change, but they do that so that they can transform into something 
not better, but just different or more true to themselves and like finding somebody who fits you better. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Can I ask you how you and your boyfriend met? Sure. I love this story. It's kind of long. Oh, good. I'm so (laughs) glad. (laughs) So I was a sophomore in college. And I was reading Nietzsche for a class and I was having like a full existential crisis because it's Nietzsche and it's in Williamsburg. And so I was just like, how is everybody paying for a $6 cup of coffee? Like we're all in our early twenties. Like this doesn't make sense. This is what is going on here? Like, what am I learning? Anyway, college mode, whatever philosophy course. And I look over and there's this guy we're sitting at the communal table And he's in this leather coat reading Harry Potter. And I thought, what? First of all, I Snapchatted him. So I have the original Snapchat. And I was like, this guy's reading Harry Potter as a grown man. And I'm, you know, reading this book. (laughs) I was being so obnoxious, like so judgmental. (gasps) That's amazing. And I know, I know. What a little jerk. Um, And I asked him because I love Harry Potter, grew up on Harry Potter. Like, that's how I learned to read. Um, I asked him is this your first time reading Harry Potter? Thinking like, what's he doing reading this book? And then he leans back and I see all of his law books, like case study books. It says Columbia Law. I was just immediately embarrassed. And he's like, oh, I've read that book several times. And I just got so embarrassed. I was like so sweaty and nervous and tried to go back to studying. We had a little back and forth. This woman across the table interjected into our conversation to talk about my book and her thoughts on it. And like, I hadn't finished it. I was a sophomore. Like I was just so uncomfortable and I had to write a paper. So I ended up getting up and just leaving. You know, it's like, oh, nice to meet you. And I left and I went to the maid well next door, further procrastinating because I'm really good at that. And I saw him walk out of the coffee shop and I thought, man, he's so like, oh, he was cute, whatever, like, I got to write this damn paper Um, and I have to focus. So the next day I was getting out of the subway at 930 at night, my usual sub subway stop. And I have like my big ass backpack on my back. I'd been on class since like 9 a.m. that morning. So I just like looked a total mess and I was walking and I look up and I see him standing on the corner of the Bedford stop. And he's just reading another book. I just saw him and he looked up and he goes, oh, Anna Sophia. 
and he said my name right. And I was like, oh my God, he remembered my name. Um, and it didn't seem like he recognized who I was. Like he just, I could tell he didn't know. Like anyway, and it started to rain and we went into the bodega on the corner and he gave me his book and a pen and asked if he could get my number. And I was so flustered by the whole thing. I was like, this is too romantic. I said, just, um, you can just put it in my phone or like, I'll just, just, do you have a phone? And I ruined the moment by doing that. But I was just so like, I couldn't believe he was standing there. He was offering me this book. It was like, it started to raid. I didn't know what to do with myself. And yeah, that was five and a half years ago. That is an awesome story. I know. That is really romantic. So were you guys like living right next to each other? Was this? Yeah, we were a couple blocks away and had been for the past year, but I had just never, we had never run into each other before. And then it happened twice within like a little bit over a 24 hour period, which was just weird. But it took me a while to, because I didn't have any context. Like I didn't know his friends or there wasn't any sort of social circle. So it was this kind of like, who are you? Do I trust you? Do I like you? How much do I like you? So, okay, wait. He, like, took your number. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he calls you. Or, like, maybe he sends you a text or something. He texted me. I remember getting home and dancing around in my underwear <laughs> with my roommates and being like, ah, I met a guy. And I was so excited just because I that had never happened before. Like, it felt so... Yeah, it's Unusual. a great story. It's uh-huh. like perfect <laughs> New York. How was like the speed of the romance? I guess it was fast and slow at the same time because he texted me and then he had to go away to some like softball tournament. Like he was a part of some club. And then I went away to visit my family. So it took a week or two for us to actually go on a date. And then we went on a date and I think he traveled again. And then we had three dates back to back. And then I went down to go film in Virginia. And I remember I came back up on the train to visit him. And I was just having fun. Like I was just kind of like at a point where I had gotten out of a relationship like a year earlier. And I just thought I wanted to date. Like I thought I wanted to date around. And I just wanted to be like, I'm fun. And I'm just going to have a good time and whatever. But I'm very much like a loyal, monogamous person. And he was really great and like so fun. And all of my friends loved him. I truly believe that all of my friends love him more than they love me because he's just a very kind person. (laughs) He's easy to get along with. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. So I, yeah, I just count my blessings and... He came down and visited me when I was filming with my roommate and her boyfriend. And so we went on like a little road trip together. And I remember at that point, it was so easy. And all of a sudden, it was like just the four of us going on a road trip and going to vineyards. And I was like, this is great. You're fun. Like, I remember he told me, actually, he said, you're fun. And I thought the same thing. But I was like really defensive about like, I'm fun. Like, what is that? What does that mean? Oh, it's like the best compliment ever. I know. But then then I thought, man, you're fun too. Like we just have a good time. And I love his family. They're fantastic. So I think when things are easy, you kind of just have to let them be easy, which I'm not good at doing. I always like to make things more complicated. I went through stages in my life like that. I think in my 40s, I've really eased up. But when you said that like 
you wanted to imagine yourself. I can completely relate to that, <laughs> but I'm not that person at all. Like no. I, I have been on maybe like two or three dates, sort of. <laughs> yeah. You're like, is this a, I remember going on meetings and being like, oh, I think that that person thought it was a date and I thought it was for work. Oh, that's awkward. Do you remember that period though? Yes. I mean, I think it wasn't like, I remember getting asked out by my agent, you know, like it goes through like a rap. Oh, I've had that too. I don't want to say his name here, but he's a famous magician. Oh, okay, I'll tell you and we'll cut it out. It was. Oh my God. <laughs> Did you go? Did you no, go? Oh, no. <laughs> of course not. Magicians are the number one on my list of men you should not date. <laughs> then I got asked out by one. You know what? See, I would have said yes, though, because I do love magic tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I did not want to be manipulated. Like, I'm already, like, good at attracting that type. <laughs> I don't need somebody tricking me all the time. How did you like, say no? Did you just tell your rep, like, um, no, sorry, I'm yeah. dating someone else or something? Yeah. Good. Yeah, that was a good move. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so nice to be in a relationship in this industry because it's really hard to be single in Hollywood and like not offend. Like, I remember actually being with a friend at a party and somebody quite older and married was hitting on me, hitting on us. And I've just never been good at that. Like, I'm just not. I think because I was young and my mom raised me on set that I just like always felt like a kid at some point. Like, because you treat everybody like an equal? And like my mom was very much like everybody is important on a set. Like everybody has a job to do. And I remember seeing some like things that I felt kind of gross like at a young age. And so that's never been my style. I'm also not good at it. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I relate to this because I grew up acting in Seattle, but uh, like theater. So I had a lot of adult interaction with like professional people. I'm so grateful for that. Yes. Right before I moved to Los Angeles, I got flown out to Rochester, New York by this creepy producer. Ugh. And I stayed at his house. And when he like kind of tried to sleep with me, I was like, what? And he <laughs> said, why do you think you're here? And oh, I God. said, I don't know people like you. The people that I know that are your age are my parents' friends. But that guttural thing, I like... And I watched his face turn red because that's how I felt. It was just really like, this is a new experience for me, man. Yeah. I did not know. I didn't know I was, maybe I should have, but this has not been my life experience. So therefore, this is new. So fly me back home. Yeah. So I'd like to go home now, please. But it's not on you. So wait, you were kind of talking about that time, though, of like, is it a meeting or is it a date? Oh, yeah. So I was at this party and my friend, she goes... I mentioned my boyfriend and I mentioned his partner's wife and having like worked with her, like immediately. I was like, just insert these people that exist into the conversation. And very quickly after the, the conversation ended and afterwards, my friend was like, you don't bring up your boyfriend. Like they want to think that they can sleep with you. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like 
if he thinks he wants to sleep, then I don't want to work with him. Like, that sounds like a toxic work environment right there. Like, you just kind of have to, like, I don't know. I feel privileged in the time that I, I've come up and that I'm coming up now where you can just start to say no. There's so much more support now than there used to be. I love it that it wasn't even a question mark in your brain. Because while I think I would have brought up my boyfriend, I know I would have. I would have felt a little awkward in doing so. It's a great show of strength, I think, in you. Thanks. I think it was my mom, and I think it was working with other women that I respected that I realized, like, I've been very blessed in my work environments and having, like, a really good experience. But also, like, knowing that you don't have to do that to get a job or work with the people who are going to actively fight against that sort of system. Like, Working with Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington and their whole set was such a great experience. Like, they were so supportive that I thought, you know, let's, like, make sure that the good people (laughs) continue to keep working and, like, making good energy instead of people who are kind of manipulative. Is there anything else you can tell us about Dr. Death? I guess Dr. Death, like, I think I should mention there are resources, like, It's a horrifying story. It's entertaining. We hope everybody enjoys. But also... It's an important story. It's an important story. And the people, the victims, there are many victims who are still alive. And I think what they've gone through was unusual, but not necessarily in terms of like not knowing how to navigate the healthcare system. And there are resources for patients and how to talk to doctors, administrative hospital, anytime that there's something that they see that they think is unusual or there's a malpractice or whatever, there's a whole community out there of people to support you because it's scary and it's expensive and you kind of need experts to walk you through it. So Littleton Road Productions, our showrunner, his team has created like a whole bunch of resources for patients. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. And thank you for like doing this important work too by being a voice, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Anna, I just adore you so much. Do you mind if I just call you Anna? Yeah, that's that's what my family calls me. <laughs> I just adore you so much. You're just so lovely and I can't thank you enough. Really, oh, like this is so fun. Thank you. I just I love your podcast. I love your work. Like thank you for just being so honest and creating a like a safe space of questions and I feel like it's a time where we can all sort of open up more about this wacky world that we we live in. I'll be thinking about you and I can't wait to like hug you in person someday. I know. I can't wait for that moment. Bye, darling. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
everyone, April Beyer is back now officially as my much needed co-host. As you know from previous episodes, April brings great advice, insight, and years of experience. I am so thrilled to have her. Amanda, I was really moved by your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Absolutely. So I have two kiddos. I have uh, Michael, who's 12, and my daughter, Bridget, she just turned 10. And when I was pregnant with my son, I was 21. I had him when I was 22, and I was a senior in college. And my parents, who are very religious, um, I hid it from them for about six months because they, they lived in Texas. So I had a little bit of country in between us. That must have been so stressful. It was terrible. <laughs> but I told my parents and my father said, you know, here's your choices. You can get married and we will support you and we will be there for you or we're not in your life. We're not going to have anything to do with you. We're not going to have anything to do with your son. Being 21 and being a waitress and not having any other real job experience other than food and beverage, I was terrified, of course, of losing my family. So we got married and uh, my father was very wealthy and he paid him and paid for everything. And on paper, it was a pretty good situation, pretty good deal. And, and he came from a very broken family. So we moved to Texas about three months after my son was born and my dad said that we needed to have spiritual guidance as well as support. So we came here, uh, which is where I've been now for the past 11 years, 12 years now. And when I got here, I was so unhappy. I was so miserable. It was terrible. And I went to my parents and told them I'm very depressed. I am miserable. I'm not in love with this person. And waking up pretending every day is awful. And they said, Love's a choice. You're going to have to suck it up. Sorry. So <laughs> I did that for a few more months and then I got really sick. I got pneumonia and that really threw me for a loop. And I just realized I cannot live this life anymore. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my son. Like I just, I'm at a point where I'm not going to be around much longer if I keep living like this. So I, I told him I wasn't in love with him and I wanted a divorce and my parents were very angry. There's, you know, we don't have a very close relationship and that's okay for me now. But since then, I've really let his dad call so many shots out of guilt. I still feel guilty, even though it's been, you know, almost 12 years now. I feel so bad for him moving here and for just not speaking my truth earlier. And I've let him just make all these parenting calls to keep the peace because I just wanted peace for my son. And that worked for a while until the end of 2019, my son got mono and we had been moving a town over, knew everything. It was a terrible time for him not to be involved with, you know, school or anything. And then COVID hit. We started to kind of disagree right when Michael had gotten sick from the mono when he was ready to go back to school. His father did not agree with that. And he took him to the pediatrician and had him run like crazy tests, blood tests, all sorts of tests, just because he was convinced there was something else going on. And the doctor couldn't find anything and said, look, I'm not sticking another needle in your son. He needs to get back to school. Well, COVID literally hit like a week later. Then his dad lost his job and he's has not tried to find another job since because I don't even know what the fear is, but he's terrified. There's something going on there. But he has told Michael that he is high risk and that he can die if he gets this. And Michael's been vaccinated now. But prior to him being vaccinated, my brother and his family were going to come visit us from California. And 
I had taken Michael and my daughter to the pediatrician and, you know, made sure it was okay first. And all of the adults are vaccinated. And then my nieces and nephew had been uh, homeschooled and my brother had been working at home. Said this, they need to be with other children. Like they need to be, you have to let your kids be kids. Perfect. Great. That's all I need to hear. Dad did not <laughs> agree. Uh, and when I called to tell him, look, like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to let them be around their cousins. We're going to let them play. His dad was very angry and, and told me I was a shitty mother and that my family and I were trying to kill him. And just all of this stuff that has just been getting worse and worse and worse. And I know that I set a precedent by allowing this to happen for so long, but it's just to the point where we can't even have a conversation anymore. And even now that Michael's fully vaccinated, he's calling him and asking him what he's doing and where he is and what he's been doing. And it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. Before we get into this further, you're now remarried, right? Can you tell us about your husband? You know, my husband is the most amazing man in the whole world. And he's the one that really got me the help that I needed because my parents, they don't believe in mental health. They just need the religious part, Amanda. It's so funny that you say that because my husband called my dad. He said she needs help. And he's like, no, 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 she needs Jesus. And then he hung up on So <laughs> my husband is the one that really got me the help that I needed and, you know, got me finally diagnosed on the right medication and if it was not for him, I don't know that I would be where I am now. He really helped me get the help that I need and, and become the person I am and start to question, like, it's not okay that you talk to me like that. It's not okay that you talk to my kids like that. It's not okay how you treated me. So yeah, I've, he's changed my life with that. And he's just such an amazing man. I'm really lucky. I'm so happy to hear that. Okay, let's talk about your ex a little bit. Is he in a relationship? I don't believe so. He was before COVID happened. And I mean, he's literally, he's locked himself in that house. Uh, I should go back and let you know, we don't, I felt so guilty about the divorce. I never asked for like child support or anything like that. So there's no way that I would really know if he had gotten a job other than my son mentioning it to me. But I mean, he has just locked himself in that house and just obsessively read everything you could possibly read on the CDC website and interpret it into his own manner. And it's just, it's hard to watch too. Right. So he's spiraling out a little bit. And it sounds like he was pretty controlling. And like you said, maybe he established being sort of the dominant parental unit. And in his search for control, he's also trying to control you. I imagine he's kind of judgmental and like scolding about whatever it is. Mm -hmm. He keeps telling my son that I'm making bad choices and putting him in danger. And that's been very frustrating and difficult. I mean, it sounds like there might be some mental health issues on his end, maybe. Yeah. 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 Well, COVID tipped a, a lot of people over the edge, you know, mentally. So if you were already fearful pre-COVID, it just magnified it, you know. So we're dealing with that, too. Clearly, it's not that he's just controlling you, Amanda. He's trying to control his own environment as well. He's in absolute fight or flight and fear right now. It's not so much of a co-parenting issue. It's looking at what is driving his fear and how can you, and thank God you have this amazing husband, how can you guys be a force to really step in? Amanda, have you considered family or even legal counseling? Somebody speaking on your behalf to help set boundaries. Do you think that might be helpful? Absolutely. So does he get reactionary? Does he leave you angry voice messages? Does he... Text messages. Yep. Very angry messages. Okay. Um, how frequently? 
once a month at this point. He never used to. And this is, you know, within the past year that this has been happening. The last time it happened was because my son texted me. He was in his room and his dad called and he told his dad, oh, you know, we went swimming today. And his dad did not like that and told him, well, when you get back to my house, you know, you're punished because you went and swimming with your mother. And Michael texted me and said, my dad's really upsetting me. Could you come in here and take the phone? So I went in there and took the phone and said, Lou, look, please don't punish Michael for things that he does at my house. Why don't you and I talk about this? And he went off on me. He said, don't you dare ever take the phone away and keep me from speaking to my son. And he just started swearing at me. So I hung the phone up and gave it back to Michael and said, if, you know, if you need to come get me, come get me again. Because it was like 10 o'clock. And then I woke up to this like crazy long message about how I kept him from speaking to his son. I should ask, how does your son feel? He is having a very hard time because he's wanting to please his dad, but also wanting to be a kid and trying to kind of reconcile that. And he is very upset. He's told my husband and I, he just wants to be a 12 year old. He just wants to have fun and play and you know, not have his dad just keep scaring him. And I'm at the point now where we're realizing we may need to get, you know, somebody else involved in this because we thought, okay, he's fully vaccinated now. It should die down. But I mean, he wanted me to quit my job when I had to go back into the office. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I have to go back to work. Do you think your son is mature enough? Because the ground will shake a little bit as you reestablish the boundaries. Right. Of course. Yes. In a big way. <laughs> he has a great therapist. I've had him in therapy for the past couple of months um, because he, he, he is aware that there's tension. He's an intelligent kid. And I think, you know, when we do have to have that conversation as to what's going on, that probably a collective group of the therapist and the lawyer and, you know, me and my, my husband will sit down and talk to him. Yeah. And because your ex had a solid chunk of time to be this dominant parental figure, making you feel like a mess while he's like reveling in his fantasy of being the world's best dad. Yeah. Divorce sucks. Custody sucks. It, it all sucks. Yeah. Well, it sounds also like he got kind of drunk on his power because you gave it to him for so many years. Right, Amanda? Yeah. I mean, I let it happen just thinking, oh, it'll just keep the peace. It'll be fine. And that was stupid. <laughs> I do think you need a legal professional. You know, there are legal professionals who are also well-versed in family law, but also family therapy and the well-being of children. And so that's definitely something to start looking into. I think that's great. We're talking about the post-COVID behavior that he's exhibiting, but what about pre this, before your son got mono, how were things? Was there still a lot of disruption when your son would come back to your house? Like, would you have to deal with him all the time or was it just smooth because he was just making the decisions and calling the shots? There was some disruption as far as, you know, we have rules and we have chores in our house and, you know, we have three dogs. So the kids are responsible for helping with certain things. And, and dad has no rules, which can be very um, difficult when you come back from essentially being an only child at dad's house to coming back to our house where you have a sister and you have rules and you have things that, you know, we expect you to do. Uh, looking at it then, that was really the only issue. We spent like every holiday together, every birthday, but you know, in speaking with my husband and, and looking back at it now, I realized that there were things that should have been red flags that I just pushed aside because I wanted to just keep it peaceful. Because you have two kids and their life is, yeah, yeah, I know. You know, there were little things, but nothing to the extent of post-COVID. But if he came over and he was spending holidays with you and your husband and your daughter and your son, 
Was he behaving appropriately when he was with you guys? Was he being kind to you, to your husband? You're certainly kind. It's strange, though, that he would allow my son to speak to him in a manner that I would never let my son speak to me in, kind of like a friend, like if you're joking around with one another. And my husband was always really bothered by that. He's like, we would never let Michael talk to us like this. Um, But I didn't really think much of it at the time. Does your ex have like financial resource? I don't know. I know my parents had been giving him money when he lost his job and he's buying a lot of things. Like we have this really cool water park that just opened up and the tickets are super expensive and he just bought like season passes for that, but he's still out of work. So he's buying things. I don't know how. Are your parents still friends with him? They have not spoken to him since he said that we were all trying to kill Michael. So I don't think that they're still sending him money. Uh, I was seeing it on Venmo. That's the only way I was seeing it. But I'm not 100% sure. The reason why I asked, Amanda, is because I do think there's a high likelihood that your ex will go running to your parents in some fashion. I'm sure he will. And yeah, okay. Yeah, but like you can't do anything about that. And it sounds like you've distanced yourself from your parents anyway. So yeah, I mean, my dad has a problem with alcohol and my kids are not over there alone ever. Mm. I don't trust them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And just with the like the religious stuff, like I, I left my son and my daughter there. I was getting on a plane to go back to New Hampshire to visit some friends. And I get a phone call from my mother-in-law. She's like, Hey, um, your mom told Michael the devil's all around him. I try not to leave my kids around my parents uh, unattended. You are surrounded by very controlling people. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I oh my god, never realized it. You know, my thank God for my husband. Well, I saved myself, but he helped me find the way. But yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, especially you know the things that religion can do to people and organize religion. It's just it is galling that flawed people can be so judgmental. It is. It, it absolutely is. Well, they're seeing the world the way they see themselves. You know. Well, I'm really happy that you have financial independence from your parents. Yes, that was very important to me too. They they like offered to buy our house, but we said, no, we didn't want any part of it. Good for you. Yeah, we were very fortunate. We bought at a very good time. We built our house like in 2019, right before COVID hit. So we were really fortunate with that. But it's been a long time coming. Because you got pregnant when you were in college. I think you said your senior year. Were you able to finish out and get your degree? So I actually finished in 2018 uh, and I got to walk in Rhode Island. I was really excited. I flew back to Providence Yay. and got to walk in graduation. Awesome. Yeah, it was it was awesome. That was probably one of the things I'm most proud of, to be able to do that with kids and work and dogs. And Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it was, it was really exciting. I'm really impressed with your strength. You've made some like majorly independent and strong decisions in your life considering the control that your parents wanted over your life and the control that your ex wants now over your life. That's pretty amazing. You know, there is such thing as parental alienation and not that you and your son are having any struggles having a relationship, but that is something real that people in family law deal with a lot. That's just saying when one parent is saying to the child, your mother or your father doesn't love you or they're putting you in harm's way or danger, you actually have legal grounds 
to open up a discussion and get some advice. You know, it's it's always worth just taking a meeting with somebody and just paying whatever their rate is to, to get on the phone with them for 90 minutes and just ask a ton of questions. Like, what are my options? And maybe communication should be between them. Like, maybe that person just could be your mediator right. to have discussions with you. But, you know, Anna's right. You're so strong, Amanda. You're so together and you're so wise. Took a long time. <laughs> It's not an overnight thing. <laughs> well, you had to push. I mean, some people are wise early on. You were always wise. It's just that you had so many people getting in your way, you know, of making decisions for you, whether you're his parents or your ex. And because you had a child so young, you didn't get to really trust yourself the way other people get to when they have cheerleaders around them from early points in life going, yes, you're right. You're amazing. You have a really good head on your shoulders. So yeah, but it took you a long time, but it doesn't matter because as long as you got here, that's what matters most, right? So that is your true essence and your nature. And I keep hearing that you're still living in this past of guilt. Like the word guilt comes up a lot do you still feel guilty that this guy had to move to Texas and that you left him? Or have you gotten over that? I have gotten over that until I haven't. I don't know if that makes any sense, but sometimes things trigger me to where it just comes flooding back. You know, I've been thinking to myself, I should have just kept my mouth shut and just kept living this peaceful life, but it just wasn't honest and it wasn't the best for Michael and for me. And you know, I'm, I'm glad that it's all happening. I just wish, you know, I could have made this call a little bit sooner. It's okay. You have to stop beating yourself up, Amanda, for things you did 10 years ago or what you're doing now. And the reason why that stuff keeps flooding back is because it's a lifetime of training. And it's your theme, right? It's like you have a theme of guilt and we can hear you loud and clear as to why. But it's time to put that aside and realize you are a fully grown woman now. You are the fully developed story. You're married. You're a mother. You're a beautiful wife. You're smart. You're educated. So the guilt will stop you from being able to do the practical things because unless you get your head straight on this, whatever advice somebody gives you will be wasted because you won't have the fuel. So I feel like what we could do for you today is just give you the power and the fuel to remind you that you have all of the tools necessary to go forward. You have to remember that whatever age people get married, everybody is making a choice. So when your parents said love is a choice, I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with them that they should have given you a marriage and said cho choose to love him. But he made a choice as well. The moment he met you was a choice. When he moved to Texas with you, it was a choice. Accepting money from your parents? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Accepting money from mom and dad. Choice. My dowry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did he get some chickens and hens too? Like it, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> right? So you got to stop feeling guilty about him because he's a grown man now. And we can't look back at our lives and feel guilty about decisions we've made and then also feel guilty about everybody else around us. Like you've got to just consciously every day do some kind of mantra to say, I no longer feel guilt. I no longer am a servant to the decisions I've made in the past. And when I make a decision because it's out of honesty and transparency and it's being earnest, I will not regret whatever the outcome is of that said action. Because when you all of a sudden gain your power and you've been quiet, 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 and you've been sitting in the shadows for so long, and then you suddenly roar, stuff's going to break. <laughs> and so 
instead of you packing up all of your ideas and what you're doing and running with it, just say, no, I'm going to let things break for a while. You did the right thing. This kid of yours needs to acclimate. He needs to be around his family and his cousins and his friends now. I mean, Anna, you're a mom. Hasn't every therapist said that these kids have suffered so much through COVID that they need to integrate, right? Like, we can protect them, but... And then there's your ex projecting the idea that your son is sick. How does a 12-year-old digest that? Well, his father took him to several different doctors since February, just trying to see if there was something else going on or wrong that just showed up. And I didn't know about it. And Michael told me, mom, like, I don't want to see any more doctors. I'm like, what doctor? What are you talking about? And then I, the insurance is under me. So I went and looked and we had a conversation about that, but we finally stuck with the pediatrician that my daughter also sees, but Michael definitely sees it. And he definitely recognizes that it's not normal behavior. And that scares me that he's the age he is and seeing that and recognizing that, but he's definitely aware. After getting mono, was he exhibiting other symptoms? I mean, it- no, he was, you know, he was tired for a while after that. And so that was really the only thing that was truly going on. But the doctor told us about that and the kid had every test possible, but there wasn't anything, you know, worrisome. Uh, there wasn't a point where we were terrified or we thought there was something more serious going on. It was, I mean, mono sucks, but it was mono. This is just about control issues with him. That's all that's going on. I guess. My question, Amanda, is what do you want? Like in a dream of dreams, what do you want to happen right now? If you could have it your way. I would want him to be here until we can figure out what's going on with his dad and myself and my husband be the one that are overseeing anything medical and and having him with us here day to day because I get so worried whenever he's with his dad. I get concerned, you know, what is he telling him or what is he feeding him into or, you know, I don't know if that's an overreaction, but that's how I feel. Well, again, long after we part today, your lesson is to state what you think and feel and then don't immediately back it up with, I don't know if that's too much or I don't know if I should have said that. Like really plant your flag in the ground and say, my dream of dreams is I want him with me and my husband until we can figure things out. That sounded very wise and solid. Whether or not that can happen, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but I think you got to stick with what you know. So trust yourself. Don't immediately retract things that you say or ideas that you have. Okay, start there. (laughs) This is what I want. I'm going to tell my boss that you said that too, because he'll be really happy because he always yells at me for this. He yells at you for what? For not standing your ground? (laughs) Yes. He tells me all the time, you have great ideas. Don't add things after and try to like pull back. (laughs) Exactly. Because, you know, as a boss, I used to tell my assistant the same thing, which is your ideas are great. Stop being so shy around me, right? Like come to me because you have to think about it, whether it's a boss or a partner, or whatever, we cause people more work when we go, hey, we float an idea, and then we pull it back. Because as a boss, we love when our employees or our staff have ideas for something, and we go, yes, thank you, run with it. (laughs) Because I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to do all that stuff. So if we've hired well, which clearly your boss has, he trusts you. Go with it. Because then you make his life easier, right? So that's an aside. But what's interesting is that's the through line for what's happening with your ex. You have to look at him and kind of rise above it and go, okay, he's spinning right now because this is, I'm pulling away his life raft of control. Don't try to make it better or different. Let it be because this will be the retraining that you'll do. So this is as much for you personally 
as it is for your son. Because this has been a decade and more in the making, it's really hard, I think, at this point for you to be able to say, listen, we're rewriting the rules. I don't like the way you treat me. I don't like the way you dictate this, this, and this regarding our son. I think that that may not be heard as clearly as somebody who can help you get into the specifics of what you want. Right. And I bet he'll be freaked out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because when you set boundaries, you really, really upset the people that aren't used to boundaries. And somebody did not make that guy feel safe when he was a kid. He probably had a real upsetting... His parents are terrible people. His parents are awful people. So there you go, right? It always starts with our parents every single time. Like he had a probably chaotic household. He couldn't control anything. When you look at him, think about him as being four years old in his house with all kinds of chaos and hurtful behavior. And he poor little guy couldn't control anything. So when he's raging or saying stupid stuff or controlling... You can stay in your calm center by looking at him as a four-year-old and going, wow, like this is why he is in such need. This is why he's locking my kid in the house when he goes over there because he's so afraid the kid's going to get COVID. You know, he's overreacting to things because of his childhood. Now, this doesn't give him an excuse for behavior. What it does, Amanda, is it helps you to stay absolutely calm and strong. That's great advice. Yeah, thank you. Did not think about it like that. It's going to be really hard for a minute, but I think it'll be worth it. I have really appreciated both of your openness and honesty, like just on the podcast in general, because it really has helped, especially on a, you know, being so open and honest about everything you've been through has been Thanks. so helpful for me. Thanks. That means a lot. Thank you, Amanda. It's, it's hard to do. It's It's not easy to be real like that, especially somebody who's, you know, famous and has everybody picking you apart. I cannot, I cannot imagine how difficult that must be. I do have a bit of anxiety sometimes. I'm sure. <laughs> I love that you said that, Amanda, because Anna is an example of that. And because she is so open and transparent, which and she's not in the position to be this transparent, that she benefits from it because more love comes her way. Oh, I so do. So, Anna, I'm sure it's just you've been in a practice of it, right? Like, being transparent and open and honest and vulnerable is work, right? you got to get there. And I love that you said that to her because it's 100% true. And if everybody could be this way, we would attract better things in our lives. Just a little compliment, Anna. Yeah. Thank you. And I know that the podcast has shifted me for the better. Anyway, thank yeah, you, guys. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Amanda, you know, I have let myself be in controlling relationships without even recognizing it. So I can really relate to what you're saying as a person with good intentions. And I always feel like I'm slow to pick up on any red flags, any clues. But I think it's a great time for your ex to understand that you are 50% of this partnership, if not more. You know, you're his mom. And look in the mirror, Amanda, and realize that you are not that 20-year-old girl being controlled by parents and being young and pregnant and working at a restaurant. You know, you're not that girl anymore. And, you know, as they say, we're never handed anything we can't handle. And whatever reason, this is your this is your journey. You're designed for it. You're made for it. You're going to grow from this in such a beautiful way. 
you're learning tools and skills right now that you haven't really ever accessed before. And it's just your time. It's your time to step into your own power. And that's what you're feeling right now. The old stuff is breaking. And so we have to celebrate that a little bit because sometimes things need to die out for new things to begin. Amanda, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the advice and taking the time to talk to me. It means a lot. All the best to you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you, April. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Amanda. 